Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. More Tapped Out with Brendan Tobin and Sean Levine on the BetQL Network. Appreciate you joining us. However, you got us on the BetQL Network, twitch.tv backslash BetQL, the Odyssey app on YouTube, or if you're checking us out on the podcast. Down in Miami, Brendan Tobin, Kansas City, I'm Sean Levine. And joining us on the phone from USA Today, Rolling Stone, you know him from MMA Junkie, Mike Bond is on Tapped Out. What's up, Mike? How's it going, man? Hey, I'm pretty good. Thanks for having me. So, Mike, we got a bunch of good fights already scheduled this year. The biggest one, pun intended, is Nganu versus Gone, which right now is basically a pick'em fight. Are you leading in a particular direction right now? Ooh, I don't know. I mean, it's not really. I think it's kind of a pick'em, like you said. I think obviously Francis Nganu has that insane uh, knockout power that's kind of an equalizer in any fight, but. From what we've seen so far, it seems like Cyril Gone has the more complete skill set and is able to mesh all the elements of MMA a little bit to, uh, you know, better in that sense, and that's led to great success for him. So, um, man, I think if it's kind of one of those things where if it ends in the first round, I would feel pretty damn confident that Ngannou would be the guy getting his hand raised. If it goes into the second, third, fourth, fifth, I think every round it goes on, Cyril Gone's chances go up dramatically. Uh, Mike, how fascinated are you by everything surrounding Francis going into this title fight? The negotiations with the UFC, the desire for him to go box, the back and forth with him and Tyson Fury. How fascinated are you by all that? And do you think this uh, affects him at all leading into the fight? Yeah, it's really compelling stuff for sure. I mean, if you're him, I don't know like how he's compartmentalizing all this and is able to keep focused. I saw him at Extreme Couture a couple of weeks ago when I was in Las Vegas. I got the chance to watch him train and then uh, did an interview with him. And he acknowledged that all this is going on. He's not trying to shy away from it. He'll talk about it when you ask him about it. But he's like, I can't let it impact me because the only person that negatively affects will be me. And we're talking about all these things. You know, he wants this, you know, a better contract, more money. If he wants, leverage on the UFC to maybe negotiate things like boxing into the next deal or I don't know just all these different elements that he's wanting 
that's all predicated on winning this fight. If he goes out there and gets dominated, something like that, of course, he's still one of the best heavyweights in the world, all that kind of stuff. But he doesn't have the same clout. He would be the champion, obviously knocking off an undefeated guy in Surreal Gone. So, uh, yeah, there's a ton weighing on him in this fight and just a lot of pressure to go there and get the win, whether it's spectacular or just ho-hum. Uh, obviously, Francis Ngane doesn't really do ho-hum, but... Yeah, I mean, I think this is a lot of pressure to put on his shoulders. It's going to be really compelling to see how it impacts him going into this fight because as the fight night approaches and there's more media, there's just going to be more questions about it and more spotlight. So um, it's going to be a lot for him to deal with, I think. Another guy that doesn't do ho-hum and is going to now be a heavyweight is John Jones. I assume, Mike, that we're going to see him at some point in 2022. Do you think that we see him take on the winner of this Ngannou-Gan fight? It's got to be. I mean, if he's going to fight, which, like you said, we assume he is, but God, you never know with John Jones, right? You right. have to kind of attach that caveat that maybe it doesn't happen. But, um, man, like we're rapidly coming up on two years since this guy fought. I think it's a little over a month away from the two year anniversary of when he fought Dominic Riz. So it's pretty crazy. But, yeah, I mean, all things being equal, uh, assuming they can get the deals done and John's happy with his contract, yada, yada, yada. Uh, yeah, I think he's the clear guy. Obviously, you know, Stipe Miocic is still out there, but um, he hasn't fought, obviously. And I, I'd like to see him get a win against someone before that happens. But yeah, I think John Jones has got to be the guy on deck here. And I'd love to see him fight either one of those guys, even though I think the Ngani fight probably has a little more uh, flair and heat behind him. Mike, uh, the big news this 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 week was the featherweight championship that was announced between Alexander Volkanovsky and then Max Holloway, which was a little surprised that we were getting a third one, uh, just because usually O2 it doesn't happen. But it was very excited for it, and then we get the news, of course, that very shortly after there, Max gets hurt. So, how, what was your reaction to all that this week, and and how do you think this shakes out? I mean, this is a very stacked featherweight division. There's a lot of people stepping forward. I saw that you talked to Josh Emmett about it. What do you think is the the kind of the fallout of all of this uh, news this week about Max uh, not being able to fight? Yeah, well, first and foremost, we all hope Max Holloway is doing okay. It doesn't sound uh, what I've heard from some sources that it's like a serious, serious, serious injury, but it's enough to stop him from being able to train and compete, what, like seven weeks from now or whenever that fight card is. It's not, not too far away at all. So, um, yeah, hopefully he can get healthy and you know, back in the octagon sometime this year but yeah it's definitely created a pretty interesting situation i mean if you just look around all the guys that were calling for the fight uh, josh emmett korean zombie uh giga chikadze who obviously fights calvin cater next weekend uh you can the list goes on and on right yeah rodriguez so they definitely don't have a shortage of options of who it could possibly be um i just am curious to see how they're going to come to their conclusion um, it sounds like, you know, hearing some stuff behind the scenes that Korean Zombie is the front runner at this point, but a lot of things still need to get finalized before that matchup actually becomes a reality. But I guess if you're just going off, you know, the rankings, he is the highest ranked guy there coming off a win. Um, so I guess it makes sense. Obviously, he has an extremely loyal following and fan base. So I think on paper, that probably creates the best fight. But who do I think is the biggest challenge? For Alexander Volkanovsky, I think if Giga Chikadze beats Calvin Cater impressively, as we've seen from him, I think he would be honestly one of the most interesting style matchups. And I think Josh Emmett is a pretty interesting one too with his power and his grappling abilities. So, um, yeah, I mean, to me right now, they can't really go wrong necessarily. Like all these potential options are pretty good, but 
if I had to bet my money right now, it'll probably be Korean Zombie. Calvin Peter is going to join us coming up a half hour from now on the BetQL Network. We're chatting it up with Mike Bond of USA Today, Rolling Stone, and MMA Junkie. A long time ago, because you were talking about Max Holloway, he fought a kid named Conor McGregor. Finish his sentence for me. When Conor McGregor comes back, his first fight's going to be against? Ooh, man. I don't know. I want to say Nate Diaz, maybe. Maybe that's just the hopeful in me. I don't know if they're going to give Nate Diaz that fight with him being on the final boat of his UFC contract. I think he'd probably need an extension because the last thing you want is him beating Conor McGregor and then leaving the company to go, you know, box Jake Paul or something like that. But, um, yeah, I, I, don't, I really don't know. I mean, I know there's all this talk right now about him potentially fighting for the lightweight title, but it's just so hard to say at the moment like i personally don't think we're going to see connor fight before july or august so kind of hard to know where the state of the divisions you know whether he wants to compete at welterweight or lightweight where it's going to be by that time i think some fights have to play out and things like that for us to have a really clear picture so yeah as interesting as it is connor mcgregor obviously has unlimited options you could do a fourth Poirier fight if you wanted to go crazy and put him in the title fight with oliver i guess you could although i don't think the fan reaction to that would be the greatest so there's a lot of different ways they can go with him but i i'm just kind of reluctant to be like this is the fight that makes sense now because it seems like things are going good with his recovery but all it takes is one setback one thing to go weird in his training and you know maybe it gets pushed back even further so it's just tricky for me to match make for him right now well, the fan reaction you're talking about would be negative. People would be pissed because Gaethje is the guy, and he deserves the guy, and he's earned that number one contendership. Like, this is definitely his fight. Although, why doesn't he just take a fight against Conor McGregor? That would be a bigger payday. I mean, because it, it seems like that's one that could work out for everybody, and then if Conor wins that one, then he fights Charlie Olives. Wouldn't that make the most sense? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's tricky. Like, obviously, Conor, you can put him in a title fight anytime if you want, but it's two sure. losses in a row. Um, he's lost three of four. So I don't know, like the UFC in 2022, obviously they prioritize the dollars and cents over anything else. So it would not shock me at all if it happened. But if you're Justin Gaethje, the scenario you want, if you're fighting Conor McGregor is to beat Charles Oliveira and then get that fight with Conor while you have the title, because that's when you make the real money with the pay-per-view points, all that stuff. You would not get that same leverage if say Conor fought Oliveira and won, and then Gaethje challenged him. So if you're fighting Conor McGregor, where's the money at it's when you're being the champion there? That's why Charles Oliveira wants to do it, because he gets a cut of that pay-per-view, and that's where he you know, sets himself up for life. So um, ultimately, that's the angle you want to take in fighting Conor. You want to be the champion going into that fight. So uh, if you're Justin Gaethje, I think you, you still need to be pushing very hard to get that title fight before Conor does. Mike, you uh, you guys broke the story this week about Derek Lewis fighting Tai Tuivasa in his hometown coming up. Your surprise level that uh, that Derek took the fight. You know, he's given another opportunity to a young guy, but also just your excitement level for this fight because, man, it is a it is a fan pleasing fight. I think everybody loves these guys. We love them when they win. You got Shoeys, you got great interviews. So just the the whole storyline between Derek and Tai Tuivasa being set up for this week. Yeah, it's a great fight. Um, I'm not surprised at all by the matchup. I mean, I know that UFC 271 card in Houston was looking a little slim on paper. They needed, you know, another notable fight there. And what better to, you know, sell tickets in-house and get people to 
watch the actual broadcast and putting Derek Lewis on there, obviously the, the knockout record uh, for that guy, one of the biggest fan favorites in the sport. So I'm not surprised to see him turn around. Uh, obviously he just fought back on December 19th, but or 18th, this is a pretty regular thing for him. He's been one of the most active fighters in the entire UFC since he came in in 2014. I think the only person that has more fights than him is Don Cerrone. So that kind of tells you how active and consistent Derek Lewis has been over the years. Um, as far as the matchup, I'm also not surprised by it. The great thing about Derek Lewis, too, he'll say it in every interview, I don't care who I fight as long as they pay me the same. He'll fight number one, he'll fight number 15, he'll fight an unranked guy as long as that che- paycheck is the same. So uh, seeing Derek Lewis fighting anyone under any circumstances, not surprising at all, but what a matchup, right? Like you kind of laid it out well. Um, two of the most entertaining kind of creative personalities we have in the sport. Uh, it's going to be so fun when we have like the pre-fight press conference for that event. You know, it's Robert Whitaker and Izzy sitting up there and then those two guys uh, sitting up there next to him. So it should be a lot of fun, a great build. Um, you know, what's the over-under on that one? Like two minutes. I think it's probably going to be a <laughs> quick fight no matter which way it goes. But yeah, it should be a blast from, you know, the pre-fight to the actual fight itself to even the post-fight interview. I could see it being one of those scenarios where like Joe Rogan interviews them both at the same time after. It's just going to be a fun ride. You mentioned Izzy Whitaker, too. My guy Brendan Tobin down in Miami thinks that Robert Whitaker is going to pull it off this time. I think Izzy, Izzy said he's going to go out there and dominate, and I tend to agree with him. Which way do you see it going? It's hard for me to pick against Izzy with any middleweight right now. I mean, I know we saw the fight against Jan Bohovic not go his way, um, but everyone's like, oh, this is all you have to do to beat him now and just represent right. that game plan. It's a different world at 205. I mean, Izzy is, in my opinion, the perfect frame, perfect, you know, everything in terms of physical attributes for the middleweight division. But when he goes up to 205, that's some bigger dudes, obviously a 20-pound jump. Uh, The game changes up there. But I don't think a middleweight can do what Jan Blachowicz did to Izzy necessarily in a middleweight fight. So um, you should try, of course. I think Robert Whitaker, you know, he spoke to my colleague, uh, Farhanun last night and we have the interview up on MMA Junkie right now where he kind of talks about how his ego got in the way of his first fight and I think what he is alluding to there is more or less like kind of the, the build up and all that when him had him going in there largely trying to strike with Israel Adesanya and not many people are going to win that battle at all uh, in an MMA fight so if Robert Whitaker is going to win here he can't just strike with him from beginning to end he needs to wrestle he needs to use clinch work. He needs to do all these different things. And he's done that excellent uh, in his three performances since he lost to Izzy. So I definitely think this is going to be a different fight. I would be surprised if it was as one-sided and, and as quick as the first one. But I will pick Izzy to win just for all the reasons I kind of explained. But Robert Whitaker is as live as a title challenger as you'll ever get. This guy is one of the best fighters in the entire sport. So I would not be surprised to see him win. And for the health of the middleweight division and all these things, Robert Whitaker winning would probably be for the best because a third fight between those two would be absolutely massive. And hopefully you can kind of move beyond the COVID restrictions and all that. And if you could somehow get a third fight between those two in Australia or New Zealand, that would be just so big. Uh, you weren't going to get out of this interview without a Jake Paul question. I'm sorry, Mike, if you thought that was going to be the case. <laughs> it's all good. Um, so you, you talked to Scott Coker. Uh, he said, not surprisingly, Scott Coker, Coker's cool like that. He would be willing to have Jake Paul bring his MMA journey to Bellator. Uh, saw Jake doing the videos of the kicks this week that, you know, he's kind of teasing out there. 
But I mean, could you see any scenario by the end of 2022 where Jake Paul is actually fighting in the UFC? Like he does, he does lay it out there. He'd open the door. If there was all these stipulations, I know those stipulations are very unlikely to happen, but him just saying that he's willing to fight in the UFC. Is there any chance you think that Dana White would open that door and welcome a Jake Paul versus Jorge Masvidal fight? Ooh, so a lot of layers to that question. Um, if you could strip it down a little bit, what I would say I would feel more confident in saying yes to you is that Jake Paul will fight in mixed martial arts in 2022. Okay. I think there's a decent chance of that. Uh, I do not think it would be in the UFC. So take that for what it's worth. Um, if you know he, it did happen, obviously that would be huge. But yeah, I would not be surprised if he saw Jake Paul cross over to MMA this year and you know fight in one of the big promotions so we'll see what happens there it's definitely something to monitor on that front but yeah the whole dynamic with the ufc i mean who knows where that's going maybe him and dana white are you know talking behind the scenes this is some sort of long con for the public it ultimately yeah. has them working together in the end but wouldn't, um, wouldn't, wouldn't, heard, wouldn't, be, wouldn't be surprised, Mike, knowing those cats. Mike Bond of USA Today, Rolling Stone, and MMA Junkie here on the BetQL Network.